podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's my privilege to be joined today by a man who laced up not only a pair of skates in the Elite Ice Hockey League, but a well-beloved red tie. And by the time he left these shores, he had picked up EIHL Coach of the Year twice, taken the helm of the GB National side. But most importantly, he had led your Belfast Giants to the promised land with a dramatic league title win in 2011-12. A man whose presence is still very much felt today in the SSE arena. I am, of course, talking about the one and only Doug Christensen. Coach, welcome back to you from the bridge. Uh, first of all, before we even start, I hear congratulations are in order. They are. They are. My wife and I, we had our first baby, uh, Maeve. She joined us uh, a week ago. Um, on March 31st, and uh, we're, we're over the moon. Uh, my wife and I, we met in Belfast, two Americans met in meeting in Belfast, and uh, got married there, and so uh, her name's obviously to, a nod to the island where we met and all the great people and great memories that we had there. So it's a place that's near and dear to us and will be for the rest of our lives, obviously, with uh, Maeve, and uh, we're, we're thrilled. Beautiful name, and, and obviously our, our gratitude to you for giving up your time with uh, with a wee band, the house just over a week old. Uh, and if I can be so bold as to speak for the whole organization and fan base, we all obviously send our, our congratulations and, and best of health to you guys, especially with everything that's kind of going on at the minute. Um, but listen, where do we find you in the world at the moment? Uh, where, where are you right now? Uh, we'll obviously get into to where you were uh, before kind of the world hit pause, but, but where do we find you tonight? We're uh, We're still in Indianapolis. Uh, we bought a house here. Uh, we lived in Chicago primarily since uh, we returned from the UK, other than when we were in Milwaukee. And so we we moved here with the fuel. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we enjoy uh, the community. We, it's very similar to Milwaukee in terms of size of a city and things to do. And so it's 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 like home for me. And and it's a nice opportunity for Megan to. Um, you know, a great spot to help start raise a family and yeah. uh, build her career as well. And obviously, we want to get into your time in Belfast, but first of all, let's talk about that. Um, obviously, the world has kind of turned on its head very recently, but talk to me about life as the head coach and GM of a fairly young franchise in the ECHL, the Indy Fuel. How was it going up until kind of uh, everything got strange? It was great. Indianapolis is a great city. I mean, it's got 1.6 million people. So in terms of resources and opportunities um, for players to do things, uh, there's plenty to do. And, uh, we have fantastic ownership, uh, with Jim Hallett, who reminds me a lot of Jim Gillespie and their <laughs> overall approach. <laughs> no, it's absolutely, it's absolutely the truth. They're very, very similar. Um, I mean, I remember very vividly, uh, Jim Gillespie sitting down and meeting with me at the, at the Costa in the uh, Odyssey arena when I first got the job. And he told me about why he bought the Belfast Giants dating back to the troubles and how he always wanted to help uh, Belfast uh, when he came back. And uh, he, he gave me a fantastic couple of personal stories. And uh, as we're walking out of the, con- out of the Costa and um, about to go our separate ways, he says, and I expect to win the league title. Um, <laughs> Jim is very much um, – Jim Hallett, the owner here, is very much the same way. Uh, very, very committed to the community, very, very committed to – um, the organization as a whole, but uh, desperate to win is uh, wants to give us every resource to win. No different than uh, 
Jim Gillespie. And so the two men are very similar, successful businessmen uh, who love the, their sports and love their community and uh, hold a high standard. So from that personal experience, it's a, it's very similar in that regard. And we had a great year. Um, you know, we had a pretty much a complete rebuild. We only had one player finish the season who was on the team the year before. Um, and so we really retooled. And it took us a while to get going. But once we got to Thanksgiving and from Thanksgiving on, we were more or less a first-place team. And we were peaking at the right time. Uh, but we were running a 100-yard race inside an 80-yard gym. And uh, the season just stopped abruptly. And that was uh, the end of our season and obviously the end of the world probably as we know it. Yeah, I mean, those, those shockwaves are being felt throughout global sport. And obviously, you know, it's that caveat of, uh, there are things, uh, right now that are much more important than sport. But, but still, you know, you're, you're a hockey guy, uh, and, and I know how much kind of love and, and, and attention you, you pour in this season. So it must hurt to see the guys work so hard and, and for that just to come to such an abrupt halt. It does. And, you know, for players in the ECHL, not that dissimilar to the elite league. They make decent money, but they're not getting rich. And the one thing that's really happening right now, and I'm sure it's not that dissimilar um, in the UK and Ireland, is the fact that you've got so many people who are going to be out of work. And so these players are leaving their jobs where if they wanted to work in the past, they'd go into a different uh, private sector, get a job. Nobody's really hiring. And so it's, it's, it's tough living for these guys. Um, it, it's a tough situation, um, and for all of the players, uh, whether it's players from Europe, players uh, from North America, it's a new reality when the season ends. Everybody's kind of used to your season's going to end abruptly, whether it's a playoff game or um, you know the end of the regular season. But you really aren't prepared for this, and that makes it really tough. And so there are some really good things that people are doing in terms of spinning chicklets. And the Players Association try to raise funds for the players, especially those who can use some additional money. Yeah, I've seen our, our own uh, Jordan Smotherman as well auctioning off kind of game warns for the cause for the, for the ECHL and that kind of thing. And it's, it's lovely to see that that kind of maybe a worn out cliche of hockey family, hockey community, but it really does rally in, in, in a time of need. And, you know, I guess we're all staring into the unknown together and, and we can only hope that things will return to some kind of normal after this. Uh, but uh, I guess it's more fun right now to, to look back than look forward, Doug. So if you don't mind, uh, you know, prior to, sure. to your uh, to your return to coaching uh, and obviously that impressive playoff run you had in the ECHL with Manchester, uh, you, you spent four years in the United States Hockey League as their director of player development and recruitment. Uh, did my, my research today and, and saw that you set a league record in that time uh, for draft picks, uh, NHL draft picks in 2017, 40 draft picks out of the USHL. Um you know, with that success, with it all going, you know, what what seems to be so well there, was it always the plan to get back into coaching? What motivated you to move on from the United States Hockey League? I really enjoyed my job uh, with the USHL. The USHL, for the people who don't know in the UK, uh, basically what it would be like is if uh, you had a league between the players of the ages of 16 and 20 and the best players in uh, the country – um, all go to different cities, and it's almost like a mini pro hockey, and the best players are playing against each other. And that obviously draws talent from all over the world, uh, in the United States, obviously all over Canada, all over the world. And the, within the, the the country, you only had 17 time, teams at the time when I was there, 16 now, and the hockey was really good. And we had a clear-cut mission. We want to be the best development league in the world. 
And, you know, Canada's done an outstanding job with the OHL, the Western League, and, and the Quebec League at developing pro players for a long time. Uh, but we felt very strongly that uh, while we were with the USHL, that if we could grow the brand and educate people on the opportunities to not just play college hockey and to excel at college hockey, but to be an NHL superstar, uh, that you could come to the USHL, you never had to leave your country, and and be able to have a tremendous amount of success. And we were able to do that, and I love that. Um, but the one thing is, uh, I really, um, I didn't leave coaching because I wanted to leave coaching. Uh, I left coaching um, in the summer after Sheffield and GB and took the job in the USHL because uh, when I was at Sheffield, my father had passed, my mother had cancer. Yeah. And so I decided that there was things that were more important. And so I, I put coaching on the shelf because the USHL was going to allow me to live in Milwaukee, uh, which is where my mother is from. And um, it was from that moment that uh, I've had some of the most purposeful time of my life and the USHL was really, really uh, accommodating to my needs. And uh, so for me, I didn't know if I was going to have the opportunity to get back into coaching because it's hyper competitive. And after four years out, I didn't know how that would play out. Um, but it did. It came out, it came together really nicely and I enjoyed my time in Manchester. We had a great team. We wound up losing to the defending champion, um, in Newfoundland, who is the affiliate of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and in a great series. And, you know, we wound up, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the team, because of the business reasons, uh, wind up closing doors. And I was fortunate to land on my feet and get to come to Indy. Uh, so a lot of things happened in a short amount of time. Uh, I was great to get back into coaching. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are moments there where you wonder if that opportunity is going to come. Yeah, I mean, with that time in the SHL, you know, it's, it's beautiful context, you know, obviously talking about your family there and, and, and how it sort of uh, served its purpose and, and got you through that time. But did it also feel a little bit like coming full circle with the United States Hockey League? You obviously began your career in Green Bay with the Gamblers back in, way back in 1996. <laughs> do, you, do you think that having been, exactly, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, having been in the skates of those players, you know, did that help you in the job? You know, you, you were there yourself. Absolutely, a hundred percent. It was full circle, and in a lot of ways, those years are some of the you know uh, really really influential days of my life. And uh, we won a championship when I was in Green Bay. It was my first championship, and I remember leaving uh, or skating out of the ice in Green Bay and being eighteen years old. And there's four thousand fans in the rink, and you're uh, you just wow, what are all these people doing <laughs> on a Friday and Saturday night? But it was such a cool experience. And it really prepared you for higher levels and it prepared you. It was a nice, um, break academically between high school and college. And the fact that you did grow up a little bit, you weren't 18 years old and wide eyed on a campus. You were a couple of years older and you were able to, um, you know, recognize what was important and what wasn't. And so for me, I, I loved it. And I thought that, and I really think more, more so than anything that hockey is expensive. There's not a clear-cut path um, to make it to the NHL the way that if you're in the NBA or the NFL, um, you know, if you're in the NBA, you go to college for one year or you go for a few years and then you turn pro. If you're in the NFL, you go to college, then you go to pro. Um, hockey, there's so many different paths, and I thought that if we could clarify that mission, it was going to help families, it was going to help American families, and it would help people from all over the world uh, to be able to have success. I mean, you look at some of the players who did come over, uh, and played junior hockey in the United States, although not in the USHL and youth hockey, Mark Garside, Robert Dowd, um, you know, and obviously now Corey Nielsen's boys, uh, that they've been able to have success 
And that opens up doors for them, whether they go back uh, and play in the elite league or they play somewhere else to uh, pursue academics while playing hockey at a high level. Massive, massive cog in, in the machine, especially in, in this part of the world, and it's something that I, I hope to continue to see. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to throw the brakes on here. There's a side note because you've mentioned Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You've mentioned Green Bay. Uh, and I know that your roots are in Milwaukee and, and that I think you're a Packers guy. Um, I need to ask you. Who as, isn't? you got to be. Got, I, need, I need to I ask mean, you. They, as, they, dis- they disown you in Wisconsin <laughs> if you're not a Packers fan. You, you have to walk to Illinois. I'll, uh, I'll allow you. Uh, the Brew Crew as, as a proud Red Sox fan, uh, they're, they're my uh, <laughs> they're my other team. But uh, as a and you know what, I, I love the Red Sox. There's very few things like Fenway. But what's <laughs> not right. to like about a team named after making beer? Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, I, I, I spent seven years in the Elite League. Uh, I think if there's one thing that I, I know the commonalities between all of the fan bases. Uh, that the, the Milwaukee Brewers should be a lot of their favorite teams. Amen to that, brother. Look, as a as a fellow Packers fan, a longtime Packers fan, I just need to ask as a as a segue and a side note: Do you think that Aaron Rodgers has another Super Bowl in him under Matt Lafleur? You know what? This year, I, I worry was their best chance. I think they'll get back to an NFC Championship game again, uh-huh. and then it's one of those situations where you just got to win a game. So I will say yes because I'm very confident they'll get back to an NFC championship game. I am worried that they only got one more kick at it. Um, and after that, they got to move on because it's so hard to get to that spot and you need so many breaks. You need health. I mean, if you look at it, Aaron Rodgers has been missed significant parts of two seasons. Um, if he's healthy, you always have a chance. Um, but they got to make sure they're going for it now. They can't be waiting four or five years uh, because it. it'll be over by then. I, I thought last season was going to be it, but uh, say la vie. Uh, I, I'll get in trouble for not talking hockey on a hockey podcast, so we'll get back to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, yeah. But thanks for that, for indulging me. Um, I want to take you back yeah. to 2010. Uh, you had spent three years in Edinburgh, uh, and I think it's fair to say you kind of gained cult status in that city as a player, then a player coach, and then a head coach uh, before the Belfast Giants came calling. Uh, tell me a bit, first of all, about your time in Edinburgh uh, and, and the old barn. Uh, and, and then how the move came about and how it felt to make that move across the Irish Sea. I loved Edinburgh. Um, it's a world-class city. I mean, I've said a lot of times in a lot of different conversations that one of the distinct privileges of my life was living there. Um, you know, for me, at 28 years old, to get the operations of a professional hockey team and be able to learn the lessons on the job uh, was – extremely important and, and invaluable. And those are things that I tap into today. Uh, Scott Neal and I, you know, were just messaging on Facebook in the last two weeks. Um, you know, he, I owe a lot to Scott in terms of giving me the opportunity. Um, and, you know, we really enjoyed it. It was a grind. It was tough. There weren't easy days. Um, but if you think about it, I mean, I look back at when we signed Sean Perkins and we really didn't have the budget to go out and sign him. And I said, okay, Scott, do you mind if I ask the fans? And he was like, and I think you probably said something to the effect of, yeah, go ahead. Like not thinking anything would happen. And within a couple of days, we had enough money for his flight, his ITC, his salary for the rest of the year. You know, these are fans who are already shelling out money to come to games. Um, and now they're dipping into their own pockets because they thought that we had a team that could be really good. And we did. And so um, it was that kind of committed fan base and uh, the, the humble roots that we had there, uh, but we really were building something, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, 
And that last team that we had there, we could go toe to toe with anybody. And, uh, that was, that was a great experience. We, we had Garside, we had Ben O'Connor, uh, we had great goaltending and Cody Rudkowski. Um, but if you look at the players that came through when we were there, we had some really high end guys. And, uh, like Mark Herdeby, Mark Herdeby obviously led the elite league in scoring, but he went on to play for, um, another 10 plus years afterwards. And so it was, it was a great experience. It was a really good learning experience for myself. You know, we had such good people, whether it was Jock Hay, uh, John Fairley. I mean, so many people just around the building, uh, Mr. B, uh, who were just willing to help in so many different ways. And, uh, that made it a special experience for me and it, it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I've said it once, I've said it a million times. Uh, show me a more dedicated, loyal, hardcore fan base in uh, in hockey in this part of the world than the Edinburgh Capitals, uh, and, and I hope to see them back one day. Um, but obviously, then uh, Belfast came calling. You know, Mr. Jim Gillespie lifted the phone to you. Um, how did the move come about then, and, and how did it feel to make that jump into suddenly a, a seven thousand cap arena? Uh, I mean, it was it was surreal. Um, I was down at. Uh, the playoff weekend and um, you know I, I was just walking around and I saw Todd Kelman we were just having a small chat and he just said I might give you a call next week I just want to pick your brain about something <laughs> and I didn't think anything of it at the time um, and I said okay and and he wound up calling me and, he, and this was when um, Steve Thornton had decided to go home and uh, they obviously had just won the championship you know I was there the in a um, the playoff championship and obviously had a good team. Yep. And I wound up, uh, getting the call from, from Todd and he said, uh, um, we'd like you to come over and interview. And I obviously was over the moon and, um, went over, had a great meeting in the cathedral quarter with Todd. And, um, he's like, we'll be back in touch. And I went home. I went on the ferry the next day. I wasn't really sure if I was going to get the job, but I had a good feeling. Um, that that might come to fruition. And, and Todd called me and he asked if I wanted the job. And um, I did, but at the time I was still negotiating with Scott and Scott and I were going back and forth on it uh, for coming back. And, you know, it was one of those situations where as much as I loved Edinburgh and as much as I loved the organization, um, you know, it was a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, to then be able to six months later be coaching against the Boston Bruins in Belfast um, <laughs> was surreal. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean it was you know you go for you go from you know uh, coaching the Edinburgh Capitals. If you recall, I'd had knee surgery because um, I shattered my knee yep. the first period of the first game of the season, never played again. That's right. Um, and so to be able to transition to Belfast, I thought was uh, a fantastic experience for me. And it was really, it was special because you learned there's a, the passion was fantastic. The purpose of the organization was second to the none and the potential, you could just see it. You just knew that there were some really good days ahead. And even though there'd always been good days behind, but in terms of Scott's vision for not just taking it to be the best organization in the elite league, but to make it one of the best pro organizations in hockey, um, it was something you could get behind. It was something that the players bought into. And, you know, there was a self-fulfilling prophecy that happened every year in recruiting because one player would help recruit the next player, which would help you open the door to another guy and, and over and over and over. And that's really a testament all the way back to its beginning roots. Um, you know, with Paxton Schulte and, you know, obviously Todd and uh, yeah. Shane Johnson and, and Thorts. 
um, all the way through to where they are today with Kiefer, that it's it's continued to grow. You know, I, I guess you were you were in pretty early then for for uh, kind of ten eleven preseason. How much of that team did you have a hand in putting together? Obviously, guys like Mark Garside and Dan Welch had made the move from Edinburgh along with you. Was that squad part assembled when when you were signed, or, or how much of of kind of Christensen DNA was in that first team? All of the imports, with the exception of guys who were on a school package and weren't doing two years. So like uh, Tim Cook. Uh, he was, he was there, um, doing his school program, but almost all the imp- uh, imports, uh, were guys that we brought over. Um, and, you know, obviously had Graham Walton who was there. Um, but for the most part, uh, all the players were new and it was, it was a little bit different because the, the elite league does force you to choose, uh, are you going to try to rebuild and bring in new guys every year? Um, which I didn't mind doing. Or are you going to try to retool and reload? Um, and we tried to bring um, a good number of players from Edinburgh that I thought could be good, uh, but at the same time make sure that our balance was not just all these guys from Edinburgh because there's going to be a totally different standard that we were going to be held to. And in that first season, you know, you did have a hell of a team. You missed out on the league title by a single agonizing point to the Sheffield Steelers, who themselves pipped the Cardiff Devils at the post with the same total number of points. Uh I know how much it hurt me in the stands that year, but how much of a stinger was it to come so close that year and miss out? Uh, and do you think it was pr- a primary motivator for what was to follow? It's a good question. Um, <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> I, I remember Christmas, we lost three games in a row. Yeah, and, I And one of which was, and hopefully you don't remember this, was against Newcastle. Oh, and unfortunately, unfortunately, I do. <laughs> <laughs> and they and I think they had uh very you know, few seven players. players and a bus driver playing yeah, that night. Yeah. Um and and I and I just remember being absolutely uh devastated in my apartment uh in the in the Titanic quarter uh on New Year's Eve and they're you know shooting off all the fireworks and everything like that and and just beside myself um because I thought that we were in a lot of uh, we were in a lot of trouble to win the league. Uh, but the second half of that season I thought was really special. We had a lot of really good games, and it really came down to a one-off game against Sheffield. And we were in Ice Sheffield, and, you know, we wound up losing the game. It was a great hockey game, and uh, we wind up losing the game. And I knew at that game that that game was going to be – the winner of that game was going to have inside track and was going to win it. And we didn't. Uh, we lost the Challenge Cup. Uh, as well. And so it was a heartbreaking year from that point of view. But I think what it did make us all appreciate was you can be really, really good and it's not going to be good enough and you have to be excellent. And the following year, uh, we weren't really good. We were excellent. And I mean, I, I don't know how many teams are going to, I don't know if there'll ever be a team that'll break that record in terms of, uh, number of losses, uh, losses on the road. I mean, all those things. I don't know if that'll, those records will be beaten, but, that team was special, and, and it was a lot of fun to be a part of. I'm afraid I'm not going to let you escape it. Before we talk about uh, that, that kind of infamous 2011-12 season, you were part of the viral Belfast Giants Christmas video, uh, which <laughs> saw the team and staff miming and dancing through the arena along to Mariah Carey's classic, All I Want for Christmas is You. Um, it also featured the, fr- the frankly gigantic Mike Hoffman, uh, cutting a rug in an elf suit. Uh, Doug, look, it's been 10 years. The dust has settled. You can tell me honestly. 
what was your first reaction to that idea? <laughs> I liked it. I liked did you it. Really? <laughs> I, I did. I did. You know, uh, and Todd said, you know, he said, I've waited my whole life for a coach who will do this. I've always wanted to do this. Um, and you know, there's a few things that are funny about it. Number one, we were in first place at the time, so it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah. Uh, and two, um, I always think that guys enjoying themselves and having fun is a key point to hockey. Uh, making guys want to come to the rink every day. And uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. And so w- they had this idea, and, and the best part of the whole story was Todd and I were in the locker room, and Deb is get, we're getting the whole thing ready to start off, and Hoff comes in. He's coming from class. He's like, oh, th- this will be great. He's like, uh, um, I should get my elf suit. And Todd and I shared a look that you cannot imagine. Uh, and, and, and Todd just goes, what? You have an elf suit? He's like, yeah, I have an elf suit. And he goes, go, get out of here right now. Go get your elf suit and come back. So that wasn't a suit we had for him. That wasn't anything. That was just Mike Hoffman owned owned an elf suit. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. It's not only the fact that Mike Hoffman owned an elf suit, but he actually brought it across the Atlantic with him. (laughs) You know, it's like that this is going to come He actually bought it at the cost. He bought it at the costume store. Uh, in Belfast. Like, oh my god. And we're like, we're like, what? Why did you do that? And he's like, well, you never know when you're gonna need it. <laughs> and hey, look, wasn't he right? <laughs> he was absolutely right. He was absolutely right. A uh, million hits or whatever later. And it, and it uh, he was year correct. By year. <laughs> well, look, uh, that, that 2011, uh, 2012 side, as you referenced there, that, that, that has gone down in history, I would say, amongst the, the most beloved Giants rosters ever assembled. You know, that, that team, uh, from, from me, from a fan's perspective, it just never knew when it was beaten. You had, uh, young sort of British upstarts like Craig Peacock and Rob Dow just dueling it out, trying to one-up each other. Uh, the, obviously the, the genesis of the Bash Brothers line, uh, Daryl Lloyd, Adam Keefe, and, and Per Mark Garside in the middle of them. Uh, and you had the experience and, and the maturity of a captain like Jeremy Rebick. You had, uh, you know, shut down defense like Nick Kuyper, John Pelly, points machine. I could go on, but who for you were the standout characters of that team, both on and off the ice? Well, it was a fun team, obviously. I mean, you, you hit the nails up, nail on the head. Uh, you know, Kuypes is hilarious. I still have a video of uh, him on my phone that he can do an auction voice like you've never seen his life. He, he actually did uh, a, he a jersey a, Ralph, or a, a jersey auction one night uh, on he stood up on the on the the merch table and uh, and called the full auction. It was one of the best nights of my life. <laughs> he, he obviously he was outstanding. Um, you know, and then you look at you know the, the group as a whole had a lot of different personalities. Um, but you know, obviously Jeff Mason had, uh, an outstanding season. Um, you look at the different guys that stepped up, but the one thing that I think people remember is he had Garce, Keith and Lloyd. And if you are a Belfast Giants fan, um, you can close your eyes and visualize what that looked like. Um, and there's very few teams, very few, uh, groups that I've ever been a part of, but it just has a group that has a line that has that identity. And every single night, the opposing teams had to worry about them. Um, and they, they had just enough offense that they could score, um, and so that made them dangerous. And they had just enough absolute um, craziness that they were really effective. And Kiefer and Lloyd, um, you know, Mark Garside had a first uh, – front row seat to the best show in town um, because those <laughs> guys, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they, they worked their tails off 
Um, but they also, you know, especially Kiefer. Kiefer knew when the game was on the line and when not to uh, cross the line. Uh, Lloyd, not so much. Um, but they were really, really effective. And that allowed us to be able to have our third line play against other teams' first line. And that always created a matchup where we had the ability to have a, a guy be a set, either a first line or second line against opposing teams' thirds. And that was the real difference maker for us in the season. Um, you know, Jeremy Rebick was an outstanding captain. Um, you know, and John Pelly, although he had this unbelievable offensive season in Cardiff, he was kind of snake bit. Um, and what he and I talked about down the stretch was just, we need you for that one big goal. We need you. That's what we hired you is for the one big goal. And he winds up getting the one big goal in the home uh, home game against uh, Sheffield. And so uh, it was a special group. It was a special bunch of characters. Um, and thank God social media wasn't as uh, prevalent as it is now because um, I think the guys had a lot of fun uh, with that championship. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned the names there, uh, but I, I said at the, at the top of this interview that your, your presence is still very much felt here. How does it feel for you kind of a decade later to see Mark Garside reach a testimonial year in Belfast and to see Adam Keefe raise titles from captain to coach, you know, knowing that you had your hand in bringing them to Belfast? Do you get a sense of, of satisfaction in seeing those careers continue to flourish here? I do, and, I, and Jeff Mason, to add to that too. Of course, um, yes. You know, one of the things... And I never really thought about this, and I never thought about it at the time. But it's interesting when you take jobs and when you go places, how it will impact your life. And a lot of times you, you can foresee how it will shake out, but a lot of times you don't. Um, you know, I don't think Adam Keith or Jeff Mason, when they got on the plane for the first time to play for the Belfast Giants, thought that they were wind up getting married and start families. Uh, in, in, in Jeff Mason's case, in Belfast. Um, I didn't think when I got on the ferry that I was going to wind up meeting my wife. And I didn't think that when we moved to Indiana that we'd be having our, our daughter here. Um, and it, it's a testament to the city. It's a testament to how the organization is run. Um, it's a testament to the, the people involved that all these guys, and you, t- you can take it to uh, Steve Thornton, you can take it to, uh, Shane Johnson. I mean, there's a lot of players that have just come to Belfast and stayed. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's a woman. Uh, but a lot of times that's because they're, they really appreciate, uh, the city. They appreciate, uh, the, the Giants as a whole. And a lot of them are still involved. And so I think for all of us, it, it's a lot of fun. And it's fun for me. Kiefer and I talk all the time for text all the time. And, um, it, He's a heck of a hockey coach, and I think it's going to be pretty uh, – it is pretty exciting to see him continue to do so well. Uh, you know, talking about uh, him as a coach, uh, I actually had sort of uh, thought today uh, just about some of kind of my standout memories from, from your time there. Um, there's, there's a few. I think I've got maybe three main ones, and I don't know that I can share them all. Uh, one of them was in Lanshit. <laughs> we can maybe leave that one off. But I've told this story many times before. Uh, we were on a boat back from – God, probably Dundee. I think it was like a Sunday road game to Dundee and, and they ran one of those coaches so the, the fans and the team were all on the same kind of uh, graveyard shift boat back to Belfast. Uh, <laughs> I, I was on my way outside for uh, a breath of Marlborough fresh air and uh, I, I looked into the little room to the right hand side of, of like the door that leads outside and you were there sitting uh, with the shirt on still. Uh, this was like maybe one, two in the morning, laptop open and you were cutting game tape and I was like, 
it's Sunday night. There's no way that anyone's practicing tomorrow. That always stuck with me. Uh, you, you know, I, I think you as a coach are remembered for that kind of attention to detail, uh, attention to, to tactics, to systems, uh, that kind of tireless work ethic. I, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree, but, but, you know, what, what drives that work ethic that you have? Is it a love for the game? Is it, you know, family? Is it pressure? Is it pride in what you do? What's, what's the engine kind of that keeps you going? Jeez, maybe I was just sitting where I'm watching uh, a movie. Uh, no, I mean, just, just, uh, it was definitely I didn't have that capability. I didn't have Netflix. Um, <laughs> no, to, to to be honest, um, I love what I do. It's a hyper competitive environment, and every single week, you know whether you are good or bad. Um, and and it's something that it's hard to explain. And both of my parents, they worked their tails off. Um, and there was always a standard. Um, you weren't going to be perfect, but there was always a standard. And you knew what that standard was for how you present yourself, how you communicate, how you work. And I always felt as though, you know, for me, uh, those fam- the families who come to Belfast Giants games, the players who leave their families to move across an ocean, to the people who are involved in my life, I have to do a good job. And if I don't do a good job, it, it impacts uh, someone's night out. It impacts, you, you know, you spend, uh, you're talking about the graveyard shift. Well, you probably woke up and went to work the next day. Um, and if we didn't do our job, that really sets your whole week off on the wrong note. Uh, if you spend your vacation going to Germany, um, it sets your week off. And so for me, there's a competitiveness, there's a pride to it, um, but I started it with what it really is, which is I just love what I do. And if you are fortunate enough to be a job to to love what you do, you sure as hell better work at it because uh, if you don't, you'll find someone else who will and you'll find a job that's doing something you don't love and there's nothing worse than that. And, you know, I mean, tremendous answer and, and that season, that work, uh, that of course that that eleven twelve year ended with a, a winner takes all double header in Belfast against defending champions the Sheffield Steelers. Uh, Belfast got the win that they needed in game one, and, and that game itself is a night that many, including myself, call the greatest game Giants game they've ever witnessed. Uh, take me through what you remember from that day. You know how how did it that play out for you on the bench, and how did it feel when that final buzzer finally went? Total relief when we won. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in a relief that I'd never felt before and probably haven't felt since. <laughs> um, it, it is a, a league campaign, and, and although the playoffs here are different, but a league campaign is hard because it's every single day, every single goal, they all add up to a same spot. And and you can never afford to take a night off against a Dundee or Fife because those are the games you had to win. Um, otherwise you had to go into Nottingham or into Sheffield and to win a game just to make up for the fact that you lost a game that you shouldn't. And I think that was a big lesson that we took out of year one because we also lost to Edinburgh, um, in year, in year one as well on the road. And so, um, I think for me, the first feeling was relief. Uh, the second feeling was just absolute elation. Um, you know, seeing Jim on the ice with the guys, yeah. uh, seeing the guys celebrate. Um, because they put so much work into it and, uh, they cared and it was a fun group to be around. 
And, you know, they're a committed group. They bought in, they're committed. And, you know, I, the one thing that I really liked about that, that weekend was you walked into the rink on Friday night with a knot in your stomach, uh, that should be holding a cruise ship to, to a moor. Um, <laughs> it was, it was hard to explain because you sat there and you said, what if tonight doesn't go well? The whole momentum of seven month swings to Sheffield. And now all of a sudden you, you've got this angst. Um, and I thought the guys came out and they came out like their hair was on fire Shit. and, um, you know, they hit everything that moved. They moved their feet. They moved the puck. Um, and I just remember, you know, uh, being hearing, but then really going back and watching the videos of different people on YouTube. Um, or different people that, you know, would, would talk about it, uh, you know, those last couple minutes and the fans singing and chanting and, and that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, the, the standout, uh, iconic moment from that game was, uh, Adam Keefe's double shot block, uh, down in the, the, was it the, the West End of, of the arena? Did you know that that had happened at the time? Did you see it? No, I didn't. <laughs> uh, but I heard about it. Um, you know. But but you know what I hate to say it but that that was indicative of how he played that was uh, you know that was a regular thing uh, you know Kiefer absolutely putting his body on the line for the team and guys absolutely respected that and rose uh, their games because of it um, and he garnered so much respect from the group because everybody on the team knew that Adam Keefe was going to do anything it took to win mm-hmm. you know I. Uh, it was kind of one more thing I want to talk about. You know, your, your final year in Belfast was the 2012-2013 season, uh, which, you know, ultimately will be remembered as, as a turbulent one for the organization. There was a, a new owner who, you know, in, in my own opinion, doesn't deserve the airtime here. Um, but that threw the organization into disarray um, with the club ultimately, you know, coming out the other side with, with the kind of newfound security of, of the Odyssey Trust. Uh what I do want to talk about, though, is the Continental Cup in Landshut. Uh, but before I move on to that, uh, you're bound to have been incredibly proud of your players through a very difficult uh, kind of experience there. Obviously, pen, or sorry, playing without that uncertainty, playing without pay, um, just kind of getting getting on with the job for the team, uh, not knowing where that was going. It must have uh, been proud for you to see the guys kind of weather that storm. Yeah, I've been involved with a lot of crazy situations. Um, in hockey, um, I don't think that there was a moment in, that I was more proud of a group um, that going through that, standing up to that. And but that that moment doesn't go without repercussions and 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 long lasting changes. And we kind of talked about it off the air, but there's a very real chance that Todd Kelman and I would still be there had that not been the case. Um, I know Todd's still there, and obviously he's he started a, a fantastic venture in Cardiff. Um, but we really enjoyed working together. We really loved Belfast, and we really believed that we were building something. And um, I think it was a situation where when all that went through, we it was kind of like dog years. Every single day, was uh, it took a toll on us mentally and physically and emotionally. Um, and I agree with you. It's not really going into the person, but I think it should be – it's, it's a hard piece for people to recognize that it wasn't really that we didn't want to come back. 
uh, or stay. It was much more to do with the fact that the world had changed and things had been taken out from uh, what we were thought they were going to be. And um, it's great that the organization is where it is today. Uh, but that was a seminal moment uh, for a lot of us as individuals. Uh, but for the team as a whole to stick with it, I thought was fantastic. And, you know, it was the first year of the conference system, and nobody really knew, is it a big deal, is it a little deal? Um, but I remember us as a team going into Sheffield and very vividly saying, you know, this is a nice chance for us to win a, a conference championship. And it was a big deal because at the time you looked at our conference, uh, those are all heavy hitters. Yeah. Uh, that was a hard conference to win with Nottingham and Sheffield um, and obviously ourselves and Cardiff and, and, and Coventry. That was hard. Um, and so our guys took great pride in that, and that was probably as hard, if not harder, to win uh, than any other trophy because that that's tough against all the big boys. Uh, you know, uh, speaking of trophies that are hard to win, obviously that year was the the, the Giants' foray into Europe, uh, into the Continental Cup in, in Lancia in Germany. Uh, in 2012, how did it feel to lead Belfast into Europe? You'd obviously played in uh, Italy as, as a player before, but your first kind of, uh, I think I'm right in saying your first trip into Europe as a coach. Uh, did that feel good to kind of lead the team into Europe and then see obviously such a large travel and support at the rink when you arrived in Lancia? I mean, the, the fans in the stands and then the beer garden, I mean, I thought it was, um, it was second to none. I mean, it was a playoff weekend. Uh, playoff weekend passion, playoff weekend attendance, yeah. uh, in Germany. And, uh, to see that and, you know, obviously, in my opinion, we probably are a better team, uh, if, if we played in the best of seven, uh, than, than Landshut, but they won the one game and obviously they moved on. But it was, uh, it was a great experience. It was fun for the guys to see hockey from different places. And I thought it was a special experience for everybody involved. And, you know, obviously now the, the the elite league is much more tied to Europe, and I think it's those beginning forays and the success that Nottingham's had that has really, in other clubs uh, that have had uh, that has allowed uh, hockey in, in the UK to grow and to get the respect on the international level, which then the national team has really taken even further. Yeah. I, I honestly, I, I could sit and, and, and talk all night, Doug, uh, but, but I'm, I'm conscious you've got a, a brand new baby in the house and, and a wife who's probably wondering where you are. Um, to wrap this one up, uh, you know, I really, really appreciate the time and I've really enjoyed the opportunity to chat to you. Um, obviously that your time in Belfast is, is, has been one chapter of many in your career to this point. Um, but it's, it's hard for me kind of as a fan of the club and, and I was a fan back then too and I was there week in, week out. It's hard to ignore your kind of outspoken fondness for Belfast and, and the club. Um, in the grand scheme of things, how do you look back on your time here, if you were to sum it up? met my wife here, there. Um, I truly enjoyed the mission of the Belfast Giants. And it was something that um, was meaningful to me as a European history major, as somebody who just had a better and again, I'll never under fully understand, but just that there was a meaning to the team and, and to see the community and to be involved in the community, uh, I thought was absolutely fantastic. And so for me, I've always said this, that, that the Belfast is a special place it, and it's, um, it's special because it is different. It is unique. And, um, sometimes it's the things that weren't the best 
that heart that really pull together the uh, communal feel and the communal passion that somebody from the outside can see. And I was able to see that and I was able to enjoy it. And I was able to enjoy it in droves because I got to speak to so many different people in so many different parts of the city um, and, and to share their passion for whether it was hockey or uh, whatever else it was. And it was at a moment in my life where all I was really worried about was uh, winning hockey games, enjoying my life experience, uh, having uh, the opportunity to learn myself um, and to really embrace what, all of Belfast was. Um, we obviously got married there um, and named our daughter um, in a way that I think is a nod to um, that time that we had there. It was special. It was great. Um, I wouldn't change it uh, other than probably the, the one thing that we talked about with the, the ownership change and how that really impacted it and changed things for the negative. But um, I don't know if everything happens for a reason, uh, but I, I do look back at those three years in Belfast as some of the best times of my life. Look, Doug, it's been a, a pleasure and a joy to, to catch up with you again uh, tonight. Please keep in touch uh, and, and health to the to the new baby. Congratulations again. Um, and I've no Thanks doubt so we'll, much. We'll, we'll talk somewhere else down the line. Thank you. Please, everybody, stay safe. Wash your hands six feet away. Uh, all those things that people are supposed to be doing. Uh, <laughs> hopefully everybody gets through this. And hockey in the fall, I think everybody will have a renewed passion for uh, getting out, having a pint, having a good night, and seeing some great hockey. Amen to that. Thanks, Doug. All right, thanks again. Sports Social Podcast Network.